0: John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. I have a feeling this is going to be a few weeks series, so I'm going to do my best to know when to stop today, but I'm excited about this. Somebody say, slaves to sin versus sanctified sons. There's a lot of words there, but I want you to get it out with me. Everybody say this with me. Slaves to sin. Versus sanctified sons. Thank you. I want you to think about what you just said. Because the human race is broken down into those two categories. That's it. Those are the two categories. You could say it like this, children of God, children of the devil. But how do you know which one is which? A lot of people say they're children of God, but they're really children of the devil. You'll know them by their fruits, the Bible talks about. And when you look at the scriptures, you see Jesus in a light that most people don't know or recognize him in. I'm sad to say, and it frustrates me as a pastor, that I have to be the real Jesus for the first time that people meet. I don't know if you've ever felt that way in your Christian walk, but have you ever felt like, hey, I'm sorry, I have to be the first real Jesus that you've met? Because the other Jesuses that you've met have not been the right one. See, we represent Christ to this world, and we have to be Jesus to them. When I call myself a Christian, I am calling myself Christ-like. Now, that's either true or it's not. A lot of people call themselves Christians, but they're not Christ-like. And so when they run into someone that's like the Jesus of the Bible, these people get offended very quickly. And sadly, when you see people get offended, you see them standing in their offense instead of standing upon the truth of God's word. Your offense or my offense doesn't make it true. You could be offended by a lot of things in life and none of those things mean it's true. Your emotions and my emotions, because I want to put myself in here, can deceive you. I remember when I was a non-Christian in the early 90s, and I would go to a good Bible preaching church, I was offended that they said that Jesus did not accept me the way that I was. That, That bothered me, and that led me outside of the church as a teenager to live in rebellion because I literally thought to myself, if there was a God, he surely would not think the way you're thinking right now. And I thought I was right. And if I would have died anywhere between those times of rebellion, I would have went to hell. And Jesus would not have felt sorry for me. I want you to understand that. Jesus would not have looked at me on judgment day saying, well, you had some of the truth, but the the part that you had wrong, we can work on now. I'm going to have the angel Gabriel come and do a Sunday school lesson with you. And then at the end of that Sunday school lesson, if you accept what is now the truth, and obviously you'll know it to be the truth because here I am and here's my angel and here's heaven, and then if you accept it, you can now come into heaven. That's what Mormons believe. Catholics have a similar way of understanding that in purgatory. That's not what the Bible teaches. I would have went to hell in my offense because I was wrong. When we look at Jesus' life, Jesus had no trouble telling people they were wrong. And oftentimes, we in the Christian church, in the Christian world and I feel this as a pastor so often, we feel like we're talking people into joining what we're doing. I see this when I go visit other churches, or where I watch them online. It's almost like the presentation from the announcements to the offering to the worship. It's don't step on anybody's toes. Let's make sure that we uh, don't leave anything unexplained. Make sure that everybody gets what we're saying. It's, it's like uh, if you've ever been to a nice restaurant. Has anybody ever been to a nice restaurant? I'm not talking about McDonald's. I'm talking like a nice restaurant maybe even a little bit higher than Red Lobster, okay? I'm talking a little bit higher than Applebee's, a little bit higher than that. I'm talking about a nice restaurant. Have you noticed how they just go out of their way to make you feel good there? Juan and I were out at de uh, Chow the other day. That's a nice restaurant. How many know you feel good when you go there? You feel good. You feel like, man, you're the man or you're the woman, like, like you've accomplished something in life. And they want you to feel that. And that's great. And there's a part about Christianity that really makes people feel loved. And there's parts of Christianity that give to people community, friendship, belonging. But that's not enough to keep you. When I first started the church, I felt a lot like how I see churches are operating now. I was a young adult, didn't have all this gray hair. And uh, if you came to the church, You'd get to shake my hand, hang out with me. After service, you'd probably more than likely be invited to go out to dinner with me and hang out with my wife and I. And I continually heard this all the time. Like, man, you're the coolest pastor. You're the coolest pastor. Man, you're so cool. I mean, I love hanging out. Oh, you're so relatable. Like, man, you're you're fun to be with. But then I began to give them the gospel, and they would yell at me. Everyone look at me. They would cuss me out. They would walk out in the middle of my services. I remember one time asking a young lady who I'd won to the Lord by God's grace in my house because I had a group of guys over, and she was tagging along, and we were playing video games. I remember her being dedicated to church, coming early and staying late, and I said, would you like to be a leader? Would you like to be a disciple of Christ? Would you like to follow Jesus as my wife and I follow Jesus? There's going to be a standard and an example that we set. Would you like to follow that? And she said yes. And I said, next week for church, just come a little bit early. Come at this time. I think it was our services were at 6 o'clock. I said, come at 5.30. She came late. So I sat down and I talked with her and I said, I'm sorry, I don't think this is going to work out. Within the first month of my church, I offended the most consistent person. Are you listening? I said, I don't think it's going to work out. 5.45 is not going to work. It needs to be 5.30. Let me know when you're ready. And she said, oh, no, no, no. It was just this time. It was just this time. And I said, listen, it's either going to be 5.30 from this point on, or you're not going to be a leader. It's that simple. Just keep coming to church, and you can be a leader when you're ready. She got offended that I told her that you can't be late anymore. She walked out of the pre-service meeting that we were having because even though she said, I can do better next time, she didn't want the responsibility to have to be there. Imagine starting, I think it was like our fourth week, imagine starting a service where I just lost the one that was the most committed, walked right out the door in anger, yelling at me in the middle of the church. I led the worship, did all of those things that day at church. I see these churches giving the gospel to people as if it doesn't come with offense. I want everyone to listen to me. The gospel will always offend you. The gospel and Jesus will always bother you when you're not in it. When you're not following what the gospel teaches, it is literally a stench of death. My wife and I, we love having fresh meat in the house, chicken, beef, etc. Have you ever had leftover meat and put it in the garbage? Have you ever seen what it smells like a few days after you put it in that garbage? Leftover chicken or that raw chicken, you know, you cut off that chicken breast and there's these parts, my wife doesn't like that little sinew part, so she cuts it So it's just that, that prime white chicken breast and she'll put that in the garbage can. We just had some meat this week. I don't know what it was, but when I opened up the garbage can this morning, the stench that came from it almost knocked me out. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians, that to some, when we're preaching, the aroma is of death. That's what they'll smell when they begin to see the cost of becoming a Christian. A few months later, into our church, we had a worship band. Believe it or not, they started to string together a a band. And one week they forgot to practice. And they came up and disgraced God in front of our congregation. And I said, In front of the congregation, we're stopping worship. Everybody from the band sit down. And I grabbed a guitar and I sang a song. And I said, the difference between what I just did and what they just did is this. I give God my everything, and this is all that I have. I'm a terrible singer, not a great musician. But if it's my responsibility to lead worship, I will practice and I will come ready, and I will do it in excellence. And what they did was use these gifts that they have to be lazy and to disgrace what worship is. They got offended but they came back. We did an outreach in our church. There was about 20 people at that time. And I said, I I preached for a month, four weeks. And I said, I want every single person in this church to be at this outreach. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go to this outreach. Half of them showed up late. And I rebuked them. One came to the outreach and had a hot dog In his hand, ready to eat it. And I said, You either repent or you leave here and never come back. He never came back. That was within the first year. Are you listening to me? I said, Are you listening to me? I believe the gospel is better than The Apprentice. People beg to be on The Apprentice. These reality shows, have you ever seen those shows? I'm watching one right now about a kitchen master. These people kiss up to this chef like like as if he's like a god, calling him master. The first thing I would say on this show is I can't call this man master. And children and parents, be careful when you have karate senseis. These men are not their masters. Are you understanding? You have one master, and it is God. I hear the church watering down the gospel to the point where Christianity is a favor to Jesus. As if you hanging around Jesus now saying you believe means you deserve something from him. You're going to see in the next few minutes a Jesus that doesn't owe you. And listen to the language because I, I use it accurately. Jesus doesn't owe you a damn thing. He doesn't owe you even damnation. He doesn't even owe you your existence. We could be taken off of this planet and God would think nothing of it. The attribute of God's sovereignty can never be blurred with his love. When we think about God's love, you can never diminish His sovereignty. God is sovereign and loving together, yes. But understand what sovereignty means. Sovereignty means God does what pleases Him. And if it pleased God for us to go out of existence right now, He would not owe us any explanation And yet we we think that as Christians that somehow we're not Christ-like when people reject the gospel that we're offering them. When I was out on the streets yesterday in front of the abortion clinic preaching the gospel, people would get, because I wasn't preaching most of the time, most of the time someone else was preaching, I was right by the speaker for whatever reason, it was a unique thing. They would get so close to me yesterday. I don't know why they just picked me out. I don't, I don't know what it was, but they would get like within an inch of my face and just say, you're a blank and blank and idiot. Just like, cost, right? Like, the, and then you'll just move on. It, it was almost like they just wanted to whisper it to me. Like, you're an idiot. Hey, just, you guys need to get out of here. Like, like, Something inside of them felt like they needed to tell me that. I want you to understand something. I want everybody to understand this. When those wicked sinners are judged on on the day of judgment and God sentenced them to hell, they will be pleading for what we did that day. Do you understand Do you understand that the illustration, Jesus told it, not someone that is seditious. Jesus told us an illustration of hell where it says that a man was begging that another person would come to him and put water on his finger so he could suck it off of it. The world has no comprehension of the judgment of God upon this earth. We have been so deceived by a false Jesus that when the real Jesus comes from real Christians, people think we're doing them a disservice. I was wakeboarding the other day, and I was riding doubles so that my friend could record me. While he was recording me, I was pushing my way out to a feature that was above my head. What that means is I could not see what was beyond that feature. My friend could because he was on the outside. When we got closer, someone fell, and they were behind the feature. We ride about 20 miles an hour with a sharp plastic stick underneath our feet. You don't want to get hit in the face with that, especially when your face is just bobbing in the water. My friend did not say to me, hey, Joe, hey, there's a guy over there. He yelled at the top of his lungs to where it scared me. But I kept going because I thought maybe he was just being crazy, like, ah, we're having fun. So he screamed louder. Thank God the second scream checked me in because then I looked at him and I saw him pointing and waving and I understood the signal. When I rode by that guy, the sign of relief on his face, you couldn't pay a person to be that happy for. I mean, this guy was relieved because he saw me coming because somehow from the feature where his angle was, he could look up and see me as I was approaching this pyramid. He could see me because as I made eye contact with him, that guy had lost all sense of himself. You could tell he was scared white, pale. We are not appealing to men's consciences in a way that shows we do not take heaven and hell serious. We are appealing to their conscience in a way that their soul will know we take their damnation serious. When I was standing next to Lawrence yesterday preaching, if that was Lawrence's last sermon, he would be rewarded by Jesus being well done. The passion that he had for men's souls, the love that he gave the lost as they were coming by was second to none. Anyone who cursed at him, anyone that yelled at him, anyone that was upset with him will now perish and go to hell based on their rejection of God's love for them. And you know what they were? Those who hated him, those who rejected him, They were slaves to sin, slaves to wickedness. And yet, I want everyone to think about this. Those people are probably going to a church service at some point in their life, in their future, and they are going to think whatever they receive from that priest or that pastor is better for them than the offense that Lawrence caused in their heart. They will think to themselves at some point, Oh, it's good to be back around St. Thomas because father, father Gary, Father Fred here, he's such a nice father. Oh, it's great to go back to this such and such a church because they're so different than this lunatic preaching on the street over here. But what they do not understand is that they have been deceived into thinking that what they're offended over is something that is just. They think they have the right To be offended over the preacher of the gospel who has told them about heaven and hell in a tone that expresses the seriousness of the matter. They think that offense is justified, but what their friend has done for them, or this priest has done for them, or this church has done for them, is the right thing for them. And it's not, they've been deceived. I want you to read verse 31 for me, from the two part to the hymn part. Just verse 31, would you highlight it, please? From the two, the word two to the last word him, just right there. I want you to read this with me. One, two, three. To the Jews who had believed in him. Who is Jesus speaking to? He's talking to the Jews who had what? Believed. As this conversation goes forward, and I don't know how much I'll be able to get into today, I can see just the entire atmosphere shifting to a fence. I can only imagine the kind of people that would have walked up to Jesus and said, Calm down. Why are you so intense with these people right now? They believe in you, Jesus. Like slow down with them. Like they want to hang out, man. Jesus, they think you're the best. Like they get it now. Man, why are you offending them so much? I remember being in a 201 discipleship meeting when we used to lead it, my wife and I. It was a classroom setting. And there was a couple there that had stood up in my wedding. This is how close. My wife and I were to them. They had stood up in my wedding about a year earlier. And in the middle of the discussion, they got offended and walked out in front of the class. I thought to myself, with friends like these, who needs enemies? These people stood up in my wedding. Most of the others were there, maybe Jared or Sue. I can't remember who was there. And I'm thinking to myself, My close friends don't even want this. But then I just remember Jesus on days like this. And I just began to say to myself, one thing that you can guarantee I will never do, and that is treat you differently than the way Jesus would treat you. And if I'm wrong, I will repent. But if you need to be called a child of the devil, I'll be the first one to call you that. Are you listening? And if I need to rebuke you, I will rebuke you. And if I have to tell you Satan get behind me, I will tell you that. Pastors mostly are the most insecure people you will ever meet in your life. They seek your approval. They want you to walk away from their church service feeling like you were just at Fogo de Chao where you, the customer, are always right. That doesn't mean they get to... uh, you know, compromise the gospel. Some of them will will preach to you a very nice gospel, but they will not get involved into the affairs of your life because what they want to do is give you a superficial understanding of what church is. One of the men that used to attend our church had guns, was threatening to kill himself and his wife. We then called the police. He then said that we lied and that his wife said what we wanted her to say so that we could call the police on him. He then badmouthed us all around the city and went to another church. A good gospel preaching church. We called up the pastor of that church, not myself, but another elder who was a witness. And said, we have now heard that this man who had once threatened to kill himself and his family is now working with children at your church. Am I not telling the truth? We couldn't even get a call back from the person. When we finally got the call back from the children's pastor, he said, it's getting towards the end of the year. Let me deal with this at the beginning of the year. I think we had called him sometime around October or November. They said, let's deal with this at the beginning of the year. And they never called us back. What kind of idiot do you have to be to pastor a church like that where another pastor says to you, this is the kind of person you have in your church. We're willing to discuss it with you. We're willing to have the people who took the call from the wife be in the room so that you understand that this man that you have now working with children is the very one who his wife said these things about him. Both that pastor... And that man hated us. Think about that. Think about that just for about 30 seconds. The man whose wife we were defending now hated us, right? And talk to any social worker who works with abusive people. This is is just par for the course. And then the pastor was upset with us for ruining what was to them a great children's worker. Now do you understand why pedophilia is in the church? Now do you understand why pastors rip off the members? Now do you understand why this can go on and on and on? I was thinking about this the other day, how long Willow Creek was going on when they knew that their pastor was touching women and it took the secular movement of Me Too to expose it and then now people still go to that church. Willow Creek has higher Google ratings than we do. Their pastor violated women's sexual privacy. And they're going on as if nothing happened. That pastor can't even be found. And yet we opened during COVID. We went out and preached during BLM. And the fools of this city went and complained and made our rating a 3.4. Why not make this man's rating a 1.0? But this is the religious world. Well, at least they're a nice church. Well, you know, the pastor did bad things, but at least they're nice. You know, you Metro praise people. You guys bother us. You come out and preach in front of my hotel or condominium, whatever that place is in front of the abortion clinic. Oh, you guys stand in my street corner. That's That's unforgivable. We'll forgive the man who touched women. We'll forgive that. We'll go on as if that's not a big deal. But you who come to Logan Square and preach to us, we'll take your microphone. We'll touch your speaker. Just talk to TJ from last week. We'll do everything we possibly can to you. Think about that. The offense of the gospel is real, my friends. And I want you to everyone to look up at me, Please. I will not lighten it for you. I will not change it for you. What I do offends people. If you do what I do, you will offend people. My Jesus offends people. This is not your hospital. This is not your home. This is not your place to do whatever you want. This is the church of Jesus Christ and we are servants here. If you want to make this your home, make it your home to be a servant and a slave to Jesus Christ. If you want to be who God calls you to be, stand next to Jesus when the world hates him. Do not be ashamed of Jesus on the cross. Do not be ashamed of his apostles when they are arrested. Do not be embarrassed when you hear of the teachings of God coming forth over the radio waves, the TV waves, and the Internet. I remember during the time of BLM, after we were standing with Juan in front of his restaurant, coming home and my mind spinning like, what just happened? I go to bed at some point, obviously, wake up, And I've got calls from two coward elders that I have to now receive. They're both resigning from their position. They don't want to talk with Juan. They don't want to know the other side of the story. They don't even care if we would have gotten killed in front of the deli. This is all that they know at this moment. Their boss knows they go to this church. That's all that they care about at that moment. My boss brought me into the office to ask me questions. I need to resign until I figure this out. Could you imagine being a Christian in the early church? Where's Paul? I think he's arrested in Rome. Where's Peter? He's running. We don't know where he's at right now. Where's Philip and his daughters that prophesy? They've gone underground. Who's coming to us? Silas or Timothy, they're on their way. Hold strong. Jesus is speaking to those who said, I believe. And he doesn't pump the brakes. He puts it down to the fifth gear. And he says, if you want to run with me, boys, this is how we go. If you want to be with the pack of lions, this is what we sound like when we roar. We are not hyenas. We are not the little badgers. We are lions. That's what he said to them. He's giving them now an opportunity. You can stay with the pigeons and the chickens, or you can come with the eagles. If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Woo! That's when you say, I'm with that one. That's when you say, I'm running with him. Let's go. Give it to me, Jesus. If RuPaul gets upset, so be it. If Oprah Winfrey doesn't love me anymore, so be it. Because I'm really going to be a disciple now. If these other pastors don't want it, so be it. I'm really going to be a disciple now. That's what I want. I've tried the world. I've run the streets. I've been around the rich and the poor to know I don't want what they have. I want what Jesus has. I want what Jesus has. And I'm willing to lay it all down. What people do not understand about something like that, a person like that, is they no longer have anything to lose because they've already counted their lives as crucified. During the time of Michael Brown preaching the gospel in India, they started to persecute a crusade. And he was a young man at that time learning how things worked on the mission field. So he was thrown off that there was so much confusion and that people could do what they were doing to the Christians there. You know, they they could beat you and take your stuff if they want to. And you'll have no rights to press against them. charges. just studied about the persecution of Christians in India. And so he's standing next to the pastor. As some of these men come around, these Indian men look at the Indian pastor because they know if you do something to the white guy from the West, that's not going to go over. You're going to have problems on your hand. But they looked at the Indian man and they said, we've all decided that if you do this again, we're going to kill you. And we're going to take all of your property. And we're going to take all of these chairs and all of these speakers. You know what Michael Brown said that changed his life? because he hadn't seen it, he would only had heard about it, is the Indian man looked right back at his peers and says, then so be it, I'll see you here tonight. And he wouldn't preach the gospel. That man lived that day and so did those with him. But eventually some with that group died. Michael Brown had to come back and care for the widows, wash their feet and tell them to keep serving Jesus. That's what it's costing right now, our brothers and sisters to serve Jesus around the world. When you become a Christian in a culture that's anti-God, you don't get a star next to your name. You don't get a day off to go to Easter service. They're Muslim. They take off for Ramadan, not your day. And so when you want to serve God in their culture, in their country, you are disowned by your parents, you're disowned by your countrymen, and you lose your rights. And yet we want a Jesus that plays nice with our American dreams. We want a Jesus that doesn't expect us to be real disciples and to really pay the cost to knowing the truth. But the truth will cost you something. It will cost you your pride and ego, as our sister prophesied earlier. The the cost of the gospel will cost you your very own future, possibly. We believe that God will bless us. He'll keep us. He'll do great things for us. But what do you do when you lose everything? Everything. For Jesus. It says, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Josh, I got a new rag for us. We got to demonstrate what it means to hold to the teachings. This is the teachings of Jesus Christ. This is a big boy. Try to take the teachings of Jesus out of my hand. Take it. Take it, big boy. (laughs) Woo! Give it up. That was fun. That's what it's like serving Jesus. You want to try to come and take it? Try to come and take it. You will fail in Jesus' name if they try to come and take it. Hold on to the teachings of Jesus Christ with everything you have. Jesus is Lord. You know why that statement became so popular in the early church? Because they had an identical one that was said among the greatest people of that time, the Roman Empire Caesar is Lord. When the Christians said Jesus is Lord, they signed over their lives. When they said Jesus is Lord, they lost their rights. And now they were able to be killed because they were being considered seditious. When I look to this scripture and I see Jesus talking to these men face to face about the cost of being a disciple, that does not turn me off. It gives me something to live for. And not only to live for, something to die for. Because if the world is not convinced of our conviction, then we're no different than everybody else out there with an idea or an opinion. And like the old saying goes, everybody's got an opinion, they're like armpits, and most of the time they what? They stink. I don't just have an opinion about the universe. I'm not just being spiritual. I believe that if you don't know Jesus, you will receive an eternal body where you will suffer an eternal hell forever for I believe you will be tortured forever. I believe that. That is not something I should ever take lightly, your torture. I shouldn't take lightly your damnation. Do you want me to take that lightly that I believe that most of my friends, most of my neighbors, most of those in this city will be damned? You want me to take your damnation lightly? Of course I won't. I care too much for your soul to take that lightly. I'll stand in front of your your park and preach the gospel to you because I care for your soul. I will come out to where you want to murder your children in front of abortion clinics because I care for your soul. I'll come out to your parties and to where you go to celebrate life to remind you that these are temporary because I care for your soul. Does anybody else care for souls? So when they yell at us, when they curse at us, it's because they're deceived. These people had believed in Jesus, and you're going to see how quickly they can be deceived. I could be deceived. Those people believed in him. They're like, man, I believe in you, Jesus. So Jesus takes it now to where the rubber's going to meet the road, okay? You say you believe in me. That's great. You you get the the big picture here. I'm the son of God. I'm the one that's going to die on the cross. You're like, Jesus is pleased they believe. He doesn't want them to disbelieve. He wants them to believe. But now he's going to say to them, this is what it's about. You better hold to my teachings and then be my disciple. And then you will know a truth that will transform your entire life. How do I know you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ? Is if you're still in your sin. I know disciples of Christ by their fruit. If you are free from your sin, you are a disciple of Christ. You will not live the same way you were living before Christ. Christ will make a change in your life and in your behavior. This idea that we're saved by faith alone and not by works does not give us permission to always have faith, be alone. Though we're saved by faith alone, faith never remains alone. It is followed by good works. Without it, faith is dead. Now listen to what they say back to him. This offends them immediately. Immediately now they are offended by Jesus. They answer, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be free? See, where did the offense come in? They don't think they need to be free. They think they're a good person. And this is the problem now with the American culture is that you're not dealing with people with guilty consciences. Most people do not have a guilty conscience. Most people feel absolutely justified in the life that they are living. And I believe if you put them on a lie detector test and tested them and and you ask them, "Are, are you good in your conscience? Do you feel pretty good about yourself? like how you're living, like, I mean, are you a pretty good person? Like, are you doing life pretty good? I think they would say yes, and they would pass the test because deception is that real. Deception is that real. Most people think, I'm good. I'm good at life, man. I'm not a Hitler. I don't go around killing people. You know, I, you know if my neighbor's garbage can gets knocked over, I'll pick it up for him. You know, if I see someone on my job that needs a little bit extra help, I'll help them out. You know, I'm a good person. My family needs me. I'm there for them. So that's what these people respond back. They're like, ho, oh, oh, ho, oh, ho, hold on, Jesus. You're saying that I need to be set free. You're telling me that what you want me to be is free and all of these things. But Jesus, I'm already free. I don't even need to be set free. We're, we're already at freedom in, in this world. Uh, you know, in my life, the way I'm living in this world, I'm already free. Now look at what Jesus says in verse 34. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. See, that's that's where you make it plain. You ever sin? Yeah, now you're a slave to sin. So is anyone here gonna say they haven't sinned? No, then we're all slaves to sins without Christ, slave to sin without Christ. Amen. I mean, unless you're gonna claim you've never sinned. See, now that's the way Jesus thinks. Now, some people, I can just imagine this, would want to come up to Jesus and be like, man, that's too extreme, Jesus. Why not just say to him if you keep on sinning all the time, or do really bad sins, then you'll become addicted to sin. But don't just put it out there like, whoever sins is a slave to sin. That's too extreme, Jesus. No. The extremity of the language is the truth. Sin, for all humans, is a slave master, whether you take it in small doses or large doses. Whether the sin's of your life, take over your life and make you a addict to that sin, or whether you manage your sin. Sin management for some is a a good thing. I mean, they, they look good on the outside. They manage their sin. It's like you've heard of functioning alcoholics. They're functional sinners. It doesn't matter to God, though, if you've managed your sin well. Five managed my sin well. It doesn't matter to God. Does everybody get that? Notice the drastic language of Jesus that most people have no clue that Jesus talked like this. Please highlight it. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Make sure I'm interpreting it correctly. Make sure I'm reading English right. Somebody say everyone. Does that exclude anybody? Okay, so that includes how many people? How many ones? Everyone. Okay. Who what? Sins. Okay. So everyone who sins is a what to sin? A slave to sin. So what he had just said to them was, hey, guys, you don't get this. You think you're okay, but you're not. So now what is Jesus going to do for the next few moments? He's now going to show them they're not okay. How many know that's not going to go over too well? How many know when you try to tell people that they're a slave to sin, when they've already said I'm not a slave to anybody, how many know that's not going to go over too well? I don't care who you're talking to. I don't. I don't care if it's somebody religious. I, it doesn't matter if you're talking to the 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 corner store, you know, owner who's your 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 boy who always hooks you up. You know, the person that you always hang out with in life. It, it doesn't matter who this person is. The moment you start this conversation, I'm now going to show you you are a slave to sin. That is going to now make a lot of people upset. The only ones that will receive that message and be like, okay, well, I learned something is somebody that humbles themselves. Because the moment you start the conversation with, let me explain to you how you're a slave to sin, all the barriers, all the walls, all the offense are going to come right up. Can I hear an amen from anybody that's preached the gospel, anybody that's ever done this before? Has anyone here, let me just ask this, has anybody here ever tried to help someone understand they're a slave to sin? Have you? Okay. Have you seen how quickly people get offended? Okay, so why does Jesus do it? Because offense is not Jesus' uh, priority here, whether you're liking what he says or don't like what he says. Going back to my example of reality TV and these, these shows that people go on, we almost want to th- switch it to have Jesus is the contestant and you and I are the judges and Jesus is there and Buddha's there, and now they're going to sing for you like they do on American Idol, and then you're just going to sit back and be like, I'm bored with you, Jesus. Buddha, you entertain me. I'm not sure yet I want to be a Christ follower. Okay, Buddha, you had your shot. Now, Muhammad, come on, come on, Muhammad, don't waste my time. Like, we're going to be Simon Cowell over here, the judges of who our master's going to be, and then we're going to call the shots. It's exactly the opposite. There's one true God. None of the ones aside from Jesus are it. And Jesus is not performing for you. I want you to understand this. Everybody get this in your mind right now. I'm going to make it very personal, and I want you to understand this. My sister died drinking and driving one of the worst days of my life. If she did not know God, she's in hell right now. Let that reality sink in for a few moments. I'll describe it just so you can get a picture of how Jesus told me. Not, not Dante, not you know Marvel Comics, Stan Lee. This is how Jesus described the place where my sister more than likely is at right now. Though only God knows, true, I don't know. But I know the drunkard shall not inherit the kingdom of God. My sister is in a place of gnashing of teeth where the pain is so unbearable you just grit Like this, your teeth. Her memory is intact and it's cycling through right now the chances she had. So she's agonized physically by the pain. She's agonized by the mental life that she's having right now. So think of depression, anxiety, fear, regret, shame, all of that, your worst day in her mind. And she cannot be heard by anyone she screams to. She's there right now. Our moments are passing by, and she's there. Others who have not repented, if they do not know Christ, the other thief on the cross, has been there for 2,000 years. Pharaoh and his army have been there for 4,000 years. Some angels from the time that they fell have been there since 6,000 years ago at the beginning of creation. And now everybody look at this. I'm having a great day. We will do that for eternity. Souls will be in hell in the greatest torment that is imaginable. And the saints of God will be happier than what I am right now. You will not have nightmares about your loved ones in hell. You will not think twice about it. How do I know? The Bible says, their memory shall be erased from off the earth. You will go on as if they never even existed. When I am in God's presence, from that point on, like a bug drawn to light, I will no longer think about the things that went wrong on earth. I will only think about his glories and his goodness. When he comes down and establishes his kingdom on earth, I will rule and reign with him, and I will listen. Everybody understand this. I will never give a second thought to my sister. She will no longer be remembered. But those moments that just passed by while we've been talking, she's still gritting her teeth. She's still in agony. And she'll be there another 10 minutes Another half hour. Some of you can relate to this because you have loved ones that are locked up. You're going on. You're having a great day. Baby dedication, but there's loved ones locked up. I want you to understand this. That is what hell is going to be like. And because the churches have not taught you or taken it serious, you think, most people think, that hell isn't that serious. Well, every time I go to the church, I mean, they just sing happy songs. They tell me a little bit about heaven, how to be a better husband, a better father. Uh, You know, that heaven and hell stuff, that might just be something I have to worry about later. That's exactly the opposite you get when you read this Bible. When you read this Bible, you see how serious it is because the very next verse, watch it, verse 35, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if you're a slave to sin, you don't get to go to God's house. Well, so-and-so, they're up in a better place right now. No, most so-and-sos are not in a better place right now. Most of them are not in a better place right now. Most of them are in a terrifying, agonizing place of judgment. And God wanted you to think about that. God literally described it the way I'm describing it. Why would Jesus tell me about the gnashing of teeth if it wasn't supposed to give us an illustration of the pain? Have you ever been in so much pain you've grit your teeth? I know I have. Have you ever been so thirsty that you ask somebody to dip their finger in water so you can suck on it? I have not. But that's how Jesus says hell is that a man literally says to another man, can he dip his finger in water and I suck it? And we're supposed to walk around here with a pitchfork devil in some Saturday Night Live comedy skit as that is what hell is that you think that's what I'm keeping you from? You think that's why I go out here and preach? Because there's some stupid marvel show called Lucifer where he's kind of a ladies man. You think that's where we're saving you from? We are saving you from a place. When we preach the gospel, the Bible says, he who wins souls is wise. We are winning souls from a place that no one wants to be. ACDC, Highway to Hell, you don't want to be there. Well, I hate your God. I hate this. Trust me, when you get there, you will hate hell more than you hate our God. Sometimes people say, I would rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. You will not think that. You will not want to be there. Why is it people want to play with sin? Because they don't believe in a hell. How, come on, people. Why is it right now in Chicago it's the Wild West? Because they don't fear anybody. Put some cops with some body armor that looks like RoboCop. Put some cops with some M-16s strapped around them and give them some free reign. My friends, they'll put this down in 30 seconds, or in other words, send some Navy SEALs to the hood and let them go at it for about three days. Make it like Fallujah. If they want it, bring it to them. If they want to live by the sword, die by the sword, then they'll take it serious. I've seen gangbangers pull out guns, fight right in front of cops. They don't fear the cop. Even with George Floyd, we know is an injustice. They don't fear the cop. You all know what I'm talking about. They don't fear the law. You go to other nations, you fear the law. You get caught stealing, you get your arm cut off. That still happens in Muslim nations. You do do graffiti in Taiwan and these other places, you go to jail for 20, 30 years. Old girl brought weed to Russia. She's about ready to serve a life sentence. There are other nations that don't play with you. That's why they don't go on the streets and play like how they play. You understand what I'm saying? You get some armed soldiers going downtown. They'll start respecting them real quick because that's the only language they understand. This is what God says to sinners. You will respect my boot because my boot will crush you. The grapes of wrath is a biblical terminology. Google it one day. What does it mean for a person to step on grapes and make wine? That's what God says he does to sinners on judgment day you will respect him. Every knee will bow. Does everybody get that? Every knee will bow. Muhammad will not talk back to Jesus. No one is talking back to Jesus on that day. My Lord and Savior who died on the cross is a conquering king. And yet I don't understand in this culture how deep this deception goes. Because I know for me as a wicked sinner, all I needed to know was this was serious and I was all in. But I feel some people want to test God. You see, I was a true God seeker in my early days. I really questioned was there a God? I I had a real question about that. It wasn't I was trying to be sassy, I just had a real question man, is there really a God? And if there is a God, does he really have a son? that's going to judge me. Like, I smoke weed. I have sex with girls. I like to party. I steal when it's convenient for me. Is that God really not down with my lifestyle? Like, I had sincere questions. When that got resolved, I bowed my knee before him. And I said, I'm done then. Because I want to be a disciple of Jesus. That's why, listen to me, every young person here especially, After 25 years, I want to be very honest with you. You're going to have to make decisions just like I did when I became a Christian. Because this culture wants to lie to you and to take you to hell with them. And I want you to understand this. you got to make a cost cost right now and, and pay that price. Because most of you young people will not live in a generation where you will ever be respected for being a Christian. Most of you young people will be ridiculed now for the rest of your lives should the revival tarry. That means if revival does not come, everybody here under 18 years old, you will be mocked and ridiculed for the rest of your life as a Christian. You will not be accepted even as I was when I first was a Christian because back then homosexuality wasn't accepted, transgender, even back then abortion was rare, people didn't brag about it. People understood that you went to church. I'm telling you, in the last 25 years, that whole thing has, sw- has, sw- has, has swapped. You are now going to be mocked and ridiculed by this world. You will not be loved by them. And you must decide what you're going to do. I pray that you serve Jesus. And this is what I pray, that if the Lord should tarry, you'll remember sermons like this when you're in your jail cell, and you'll remember, my pastor prepared me. Corey Tim Boone was in the time of the Nazi Holocaust. Her family was hiding Jews. She also served some time in the concentration camps. Then God gave her a call to go to Africa and to preach to the, uh, the hurting people. One of the stories that surround her is that she went to a village and brought them to Jesus Christ. And, you know, you're excited. Man, this is amazing. The next time she visited the village, it was wiped clean. They were all killed and murdered. And then the reality hit her. I am preparing people for martyrdom now. Some of the places where I go, where these people become Christians, they will now be martyred. It's no longer, hey, put it up on Facebook, baptisms. You know, we'll do our baptisms by God's grace. grace in September, and there'll be family members even still to this day. You know, some people will come to support these kinds of things. But imagine that. She had to deal with the reality. When someone comes to Christ now in my meeting, this may be how they die. This, this will be how they die. You can study right now about Boko Haram and what they're doing to Christians in Nigeria. You can learn about how they're torturing them even right now. That's why I never want to forget our brothers and sisters. I wear this bracelet and I'll give one to anyone here. We have a bunch in the back for free. Because I don't want to be a slave to sin. And if meaning I'm now no longer a slave to sin and I serve Jesus as my master, if that now means the world hates me, well then so be it. Because I've already made my decision, I'm going with him all the way. I will not turn my back on my Jesus. I will not deny what sins are to make myself feel better. I heard one man say that pornography is healthy for a marriage. He's a Christian. Another pastor supports smoking weed, um, you, know, you know, just to smoke it. I believe it can be if, you, if you're sick and you need it, go ahead. You have cancer, glaucoma. <laughs> You struggle with some stuff and you need it. But if you're not sick, you don't need it. You don't need medicine when you're not sick. Amen? But this pastor says, oh, y'all can smoke weed. Now you can smoke weed. Listen, it would be real easy to jump on that bandwagon, wouldn't it? And there's already homosexual pastors too. Why not jump on that bandwagon? All right, let's all be gays, smoking weed, looking at porn. Y'all good? We can still go to heaven. That's, that's what they said. They said, I could do all that and still go to heaven. Man, my flesh may like some of that stuff. Let's go. Let's see how far we could take this. Have you ever seen those things? Or am I just making stuff up today? It's out there. They have podcasts. You know that there's polyamory Christians right now. You can join a Christian group to wife swap. I've seen it. These things are out there. Who are you to judge us? Man, this is all true love. Look at them back in the Bible. They used to do this. We can do it now. Is that all you're looking for is just some religious permission? Just somebody to tell you that's in a religious authority? Oh, that's cool. I'm good with it. Is, Is that all you're looking for? Because then you'll remain a slave to sin. I don't care what gay bishop told you it's okay to be gay. They're going to hell with you. I don't care what drug-smoking person told you on a podcast. It's all right to do that. You'll go to hell with them. Is anybody listening to me? I don't care what person told you. It's okay to look at porn. It helps your marriage. You're going to hell with the porn star. This is what it's like. But Jesus does not give you another option. So when you look at Jesus, you're looking at the man that's telling you the way it's going to be. Why argue with him? Just say you're not a Christian then. Say you're one of these Rastafarians then. Smoke weed then. Say you're one of these alien worshipers, the rails, whatever they call them people. I've seen some of them downtown. They can do whatever they want because they, they believe Jesus was an alien. Buddha, anybody spiritual was an alien. Pyramids were built by aliens. Go drawing Scientology. But don't call yourself a Christ follower. Amen? No, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Verse 36, would you highlight it, please? So if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. That's why I'm not afraid of my sins. I'm not afraid of my addictions. Because I know it doesn't rest on my ability to quit stuff. Like, oh, Joe, how would you get off drugs? Man, what worked for you? I'll tell you what, it wasn't 12 steps. It was one step to Jesus Christ. That's what worked for me. And if you work his word, it will work for you. People sometimes come to me, and they want to shame me for my testimonies. They want to say to me, man, that, that, that's not how it works for everybody, Pastor, so don't tell everybody that you're going to disappoint them. That's how it works for anyone who comes to Jesus. Jesus wants to set us free. Jesus, let me end out here. Daryl, would you come, please? Jesus doesn't want us to go to hell. Jesus wants us to be sons that belong to the house. Somebody say God's house. Thank you. God wants us in the house. God wants our friends and family in the house. God wants his house to be filled. So do you want to come? I want to be there. I remember one time somebody told me, they said, you know, if I, it was a pastor, he said, you know, man, I agree a lot with what you said. But if I would say that to my church, they would all leave. I said to them, let them leave then, because whoever stays or whoever comes back to the next service will know that you mean it. That's why I want you to understand something, I mean this. You got vape on you, let's break it up and you never vape again. You got weed on you, throw it in the garbage right now, let's never smoke again. You've been getting drunk, never get drunk again. I'm standing on God's word. You got apps to pornography sites, delete them right now and never look at that garbage again. And don't tell me it's a lie because I've experienced it for 25 years. I'm no different than any of you. Man, talk to my friends. Talk to my former uh, uh, people I used to hang out with, my associates. They'll certainly tell you nothing was better about Joe than you. Even among my sinner friends, they said, Joe, they called me crazy Joe. Joe is crazy. I remember one time doing hard drugs. I'm not glorifying it. I remember one time there was hard drugs all over the table, and they were doing it in moderation, if there is such a thing. And I remember, you know, cleaning the whole table up, being high for days. There was nothing good about me as a sinner. I was a slave. So what happened? Jesus set me free. Why have I not gone back to those things? Jesus set me free. Who he sets free is free indeed. I hold to his teachings. You saw the example with the big boy. Come on. You saw that I held on to it. I've been holding on to Jesus all these years. Man, have you made a mistake? Have you since since being a Christian? Yes, but I am quick to repent and tell that devil, stay back in that closet because you're not coming out. Once you sin, that devil comes right back out with that chain going, come back here, boy. Let me just tie you up a little bit, drag you through the mud. That's why when you talk to a Christian that struggles in sin, they say, oh, man, I was doing good until I did that one sin, and then now all this other sin's become, because that's how the devil is. The moment you sin, you need to say, devil, get back. You're not coming to take me over. I repent in Jesus' name. I'm not given." The Bible literally says, don't give the devil a foothold. Do you want me to demonstrate a foothold in wrestling? Because once I get a hold of your feet, I'm flipping you upside down. Do you understand? Once I... Come on, somebody. The Bible said, don't let the devil get a foothold. Unless you are some kung fu expert, every single man in here, I get your foot like this, guess where you're going next? Come on, somebody. The Bible told you that. He said, don't... See, this is not a game. Paul said, don't you give the devil a foothold. That's why the Bible says, don't go to bed angry. Have I I been angry since a Christian? Yeah, but I don't go to bed angry. I make sure I resolve all of the issues as much as I can. I don't hold an unforgiveness. The Bible says, forgive your enemy, lest your sins not be forgiven. So when I was out there preaching the gospel yesterday, you better be sure I'm going to be quick to forgive all of those knuckleheads out there because I don't want today not to be forgiven of my sin. Amen? Jesus wants us to be in the house. Today was an intense message because I want some of you to wake up to the reality that there is a heaven, there is a hell, and it's all determined right now whether or not you want to know the truth and have it set you free. And if you have been set free, don't let anybody take it from you. Amen. Can we stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Amen. God bless you. Banded altar workers, would you come, please? Father, we ask you right now to teach us your ways. Father, I pray that people will serve you because they love you first and foremost, but they will also fear you. I pray for the fear of the Lord to come into the hearts of any here that are compromising and living a life outside of the gospel. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus yet, or you haven't served him as your master, would you repent right now and say, Jesus, forgive me, become the Lord of my life and mean it, and he'll change you right now. Salvation can happen in a moment, but it will last a lifetime if you mean it right now. And if you want to be set free and have somebody pray with you, come up to these prayer workers. But I'm praying right now for all of us, even those who have been Christians before. Father, I pray we will not give in to sin. Right now, if you've been given in to sin, even as a Christian, you're being deceived. Ask the God right now to set you free from the devil. Ask God to do something about your sin. Don't stay in it. Some of you don't believe this kind of preaching. Go back and read the Gospels and tell me where I made a mistake. We'll sit down and discuss this with you. I promise you will not find anything less than what I said. There is a real hell. There is a real devil. Punishment is coming. But there is also a father that has a house for us to be in. And we can be in it forever. Come on with hands raised. Somebody say this with me. I'm not a slave. Say, I'm a son come on one more time I'm not a slave I'm a son amen now pray like it pray like a son or a daughter son just is a generic term for a child of God come on I'm a son of God Lord rid me of all temptation deliver me from evil deliver me from evil O God deliver me from all the evil of this world keep me holy God keep me in your love O God show me the bright path O God few moments right now can change your life second service folks are going to be coming in but if you came here today and you're struggling in this you need to get right you're not promised tomorrow the mercy of God is what you're experiencing right now this is the mercy this is the mercy this is the love you've heard about judgment you've been told that he loves you this is it it does not get better than this there is no chance after death there is no purgatory I plead with you my friend a few more moments